0: Lord, we're thankful for the fact that uh, you are a God who is knowable, and that you have reached out to us so that we can even reached out to us so that we can even know you better through your Son. And uh, we thank you for a knowledge that is uh, able to be had, and a possibility of believing on that, and uh, having things happen that, that uh, you've promised uh, to have occur. So Lord, uh, be with us this evening as we look at this uh, very short letter, but uh, one that is full of uh, substance uh, here this evening. And uh, may we be encouraged to continue in the things that we've learned. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you'd go ahead and take your Bibles uh, and turn to the second epistle of John or the second letter of John. It is with Second John, Third John, and Jude. Uh, it's kind of hard to say these things, but we you know, want to say chapter references. There is no chapter references, it's just verses because it's one chapter. Uh, and uh, so as we go through this evening, um, <clears throat> yeah, just have to say verse 1, verse 3, verse 5 uh, as we go through this evening. If you look at this and the next one uh, of Third John, you're looking at uh, the shortest books in our Bible. Okay, the Old Testament, you've got Obadiah, um, that's the shortest book in the Old Testament, uh, but it covers about two pages in your Bible. You look at this and most of your Bibles, it's half a page that you're covering. Um, and for that reason, there might be, just before we even get into the whole thing, to think, okay, this is an insignificant book, okay? Um, but I will say this, that sometimes the most important things that uh, you have said to you or written to you are a sentence or two, okay? There may be a a document in your house, or you have a letter from someone uh, that was very short, a note that they had posted. And you still have it, because it means something, had impact. Uh, so it is uh, with uh, this letter of Second John. Uh, it is uh, written by John, and you say it's another one of these that doesn't start off with his name on it. First, John doesn't start with his name. Second John doesn't start with his name. It's not the normal letter format that you had in the culture of the day. But many people think it's just because people would have been familiar with who was writing. And one of the proofs that this is uh, a letter that's written by John is that the early church ascribed it to him. They said this is written by him, and as they went through and and the writings just 20, 30, 40, 50 years after John uh, was alive, they're ascribing this letter to him and uh, doing that. And so that's one of the, the evidences of this, but you also look at it, and it says this the elder unto the elect lady and her children. And that term elder can mean one of two things. Okay, it can mean, uh, first of all, one who is aged, okay, one who's old. Okay, and uh, that can be uh, the way that the term is used as you read through the scripture. Uh, It can refer to the elder, as you have in Titus, that the elder women and the elder men are to take younger people under their wing to give them encouragement and guidance. Or it can also just refer to a position of leadership, okay, an overseer type of position. Uh, one who's got the responsibility uh, of being over churches. And as we said, at the end of his life, John was in the church at Ephesus, but really seemed to have a responsibility for a number of different churches. You say, are you sure about that? Well, think about when he writes the book of Revelation, he's writing to seven churches in the region of Asia Minor. And he's writing to them as if he knows them, and so you know it it would have been the case that he was kind of uh, this individual who was not connected to one church, but he is going around to multiple churches in the region. Though he's based in Ephesus and he would call that home, uh, he's he's you know looking at different churches, and uh, that this term would have been the elder would have probably been the way that many people referred to him. So that's another point in this. But then, as you read the letter, or as we go through it, you'll find that there are themes in Second John that sound like First John in much condensed form. Uh, same language, same words, same ideas. Uh, but the difference with this one, in comparison to First John, is that this one's more personal. This is like a you know, John has a general letter, five chapters, and it is uh, something that he's given for all the churches to read. Uh, this is a personal note to someone, reiterating the themes that he's had in other his other letters uh, that he's had. This is a personal note uh, here, and so um, that's what we're kind of getting here. But most people. Uh, would not question the fact that this is written by John, though his name is not uh, in this letter uh, at all. Everything seems to point to that. Now the second one, uh, the thing that, know, that you have here, is by far the most controversial point. In fact, this is where you'll find probably the most ink spilled in, spilled in commentaries as they look at Second John. And it all comes down to this term that you read there, the elder, un, or the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And the question is, who is the elect lady and her children? Now as you go through it, there, there are two opinions, okay? And you got both of them there, kind of giving it away here to start off with, but there's one line of reasoning that thinks that he is writing about a church. Okay? John is living in a time where there's a great deal of persecution. And when we went through 1 John, remember it ended with um, or not 1 John, but um, 1 and 2 Peter, but 1 Peter, it ended uh, verse 13, the church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you. Uh, Some have said, well, Peter was perhaps writing from Rome. He didn't want to say he was in Rome, but Babylon was kind of code word for, okay, I'm in Rome. And so when some people come to this letter, they're going, oh, okay, this is is John's way of protecting a certain church, but getting information to them. He's just calling you this elect lady, this chosen lady, uh, and her children. And in writing to them, he's just kind of saying, okay, here's some information, It's uh, things are going well, I, I've come across some of your children, uh, and things are going well. So basically saying, I've come across people in your congregation, and they seem to be doing well. At the end of the letter, he says, okay, you're, in the way that he describes at the end of Second John, uh, the children of thy elect sister greet thee. It's kind of saying, hey, there's a sister church, And the children of that church, okay, the members of that church, are greeting you. So some will take this and go, okay, this is a letter that's kind of an allegorical, you know, it's not really a lady, it's a church. It's using symbols, trying to protect those that are in the church, and so there are some that do this. The other line of thought is that this was a real woman that was a Christian, okay, I'm going to tell you which one I'm going with. I'm going with the second one. Um, Though good people might be on the other side. Okay, she's an important part of the church. Her children were doing right. She, as you read the letter, you find that she housed the church, or she had the church in her household, and that she brought in itinerant preachers and gave them hospitality, which back then using hospitality was something that you did because uh, more often than not, you didn't want people staying in the local hotel, and it wasn't because it was rat-infested. It was not a good, reputable place in most cases when it came to accommodations uh, in hotels and the like back then. So what you would do is provide hospitality, uh, take care of individuals that were traveling, traveling preachers. And in this letter, she's warned not to take certain ones in. Now, some may say, well, in the church, the, you know, it's code for the church. You know, church is not supposed to have false teachers. But the way that he's writing and the terminology he's using, it's, it's about individual. It's a challenge to an individual. And you'd say, well, okay, here's another question. Why would he be writing a, a letter to a lady in the church? Uh, you know, is, is she you know, all that important uh, you know, that he write to her? And as you look at both in our Bible and in church history, there have been some ladies that have been very prominent in their role in the church, even though they're not pastors. Um, I can think of one in Acts chapter 16 where you have an individual by the name of Lydia who's a seller of purple who has the church in her household. She takes care of the apostle and his family um, And, you know, she's one who has great impact. I mean, in that church at Philippi, she was, you know, not the pastor, but people knew who she was because she played a prominent role in making sure that church grew uh, and had a part in it. Um, I think of another in church history, if you ever get a chance to read a little bit about her, her name was uh, Selena. She was the Countess of Huntington. One of those people that you don't hear too much about but when it came to the time of George Whitfield and John Wesley, she is one who by her own finances would, would put evangelists out and help start church congregations and build meeting houses uh, with her finances. And, and her home was like a central meeting point for all of these people. Wesley's there quite often, Whitfield's there quite often. Uh, you have these other traveling pastors that are there that are coming through. And she's, you know, you you talk about the Great Awakening, and there's a lot of people that said she was the one who helped make sure that it happened. You know, hey, guys, preaching, but she's the the one who's making the funds happen and taking care of individuals and all of this, and uh, high praise for her. So, uh, for John to be writing a, a single woman in the church, he's he's writing to her and perhaps using code to protect her as an individual. Hey, you're in a living in a time of persecution. You don't want to put your name on the document. You don't want to put her name specifically on the document. But hey, I will give you all the information you need, but I won't give it a certain name. And so uh, I tend to go with the second one, that this is a letter on a personal front. And I'm going to add one more thing I don't have in my notes. It's something I came across and did not get a chance to chase it today uh, in studying this. But look at verse number 3. Here's this, the, the, the standard greeting in a letter uh, usually starts off with this way, grace and peace be unto you. It's typical of letters. The only time that I can think of where a letter starts with grace, mercy, and peace is when Paul is writing Timothy and Titus. The only letters that he wrote to individuals and he's telling them I'm, uh, you know, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. What do you have in this letter here? Verse 3, grace be with you, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's another thing that kind of solidified in my own mind. He's probably writing an individual here. Paul's letter to individuals, he wrote that kind of greeting up front that they needed grace, mercy, and peace. Uh, this letter that John is writing, uh, probably to an individual, has that kind of greeting to it. Um, so you can, you, know, you can be on the other side and you know, we'll both see each other in heaven someday. So um, That's fine. It's not a, a great theological issue and it doesn't really make a huge amount of difference when it comes to the theological thing, but that is the uh, matter of discussion when it comes to this letter. Uh, letters written around uh, around First John, the themes are similar, so it's probably between eighty-five and ninety-five uh, AD. That's the date we've been giving uh, for John's letters that he has uh, been writing. Okay, the purposes for the letter. Okay, it's only as you read through it, thirteen verses. Uh, there's five purposes in the letter. Okay, that I can figure out. Why did he write this? Okay. First, John wanted to commend the lady and her family for their loyalty to truth. Kind of a thank you note. Just want to let you know what's going on, but, you know, thank you for being one who is loyal to truth. Second, he wanted her to continue her walk in truth and love. You know, you haven't haven't, uh, accomplished everything you need to. There's still work to be done, so continue in what you've been doing. Third, he warned her about false teachers, yeah, there's going to be a lengthy, probably the lengthiest section uh, as far as mass material, is warning about false teachers. Uh, fourth, he informed her about his intended, uh, informed her of his intended visit. I, I have a lot of things to say, but I, I can't say them yet. And then lastly, uh, finally, he sent greetings from the ladies, nieces, and nephews. And so that seems to be the purpose behind the letter uh, for this uh, lady who's there. Now, as we go through this, let's just go ahead and give you the theme, okay? It's simply this, continue in the truth. Continue in the truth, remain in the truth, abide in the truth, dwell in the truth. And uh, let's go ahead and read through this letter. It's gonna take us a long time here, okay? We may get out really late this evening. Um, yeah, somebody was out in the parking lot tonight, and I said, no, oh, we shouldn't be too long tonight, you know, it's a, you know. We'll see. But let's just read through this. It says this, verse 1, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children, er, found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, Lady, not to, as though I write, wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk uh, after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. The new section. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that, him, uh, he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. And then the end section, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. So what do we have in this letter as we go through it? we go through and we start with the greetings. John wrote with a warm affection for this family of believers. They love the truth found in Christ and declared declared in his word. As a result, others who believe the truth also love their fellow believers. Uh, The truth is not something that is given up, but will be the possession of the believer forever. And so as you read through this introductory statement it's just simply saying this I, I'm thankful for the fact that you're showing the fact that you're saved you're an elect lady that you've been chosen of God uh, and it is that you are doing the truth. As you go through this you see that word truth come up multiple times. So my love in the truth who has known the truth uh, and uh, for the truth's sake that you say well what's the truth? Well you think about how John defined the truth. Okay, when he wrote his gospel. If you want to know what truth is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if you want to know the truth, you know Christ. But how do you, how do you know the truth? You know, the, the statement to Pilate, you shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. Well, think about this. Uh, these people are living long after Christ, you know, 60 years 50 years after Christ at this point. Um, <clears throat> how do they know it? Well, they have the word. Christ in his letter, or the, John's letter in uh, chapter uh, 17, verse 17, uh, sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. And so here he's talking to individuals, he's saying you have the truth, you have Christ, and you know this because you have truth that is written, it's recorded, you kind of get this whole idea. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you get this confusing thing where you're going, uh, the Word was written about in the Word. You know, Jesus is written about in the Word. Uh, and John's just saying, this is something that you have, you know the truth, you need to remain in this. Those that have the truth know others that are in the truth and have fellowship with them. Sounds like First John where it says that people that have God love their Brothers, sisters in Christ. And so he has this. And so this is a truth. It's not something to be given up, but will be the possession of the believer forever. Once you have the truth, you don't lose the truth. Okay. Now John desires grace, mercy, and peace for these believers. Only God can truly provide these things. Okay, this is not just merely I mean you read Roman letters back then and they're, they're, they're trying to get others, You know, they usually say peace to one another, don't oftentimes include grace in the greetings. But you really think about it, who's the one who gives the ultimate grace and peace? It's God, the Father, and the Son. You will not find true peace, you'll not find grace and mercy uh, in any other source. And so uh, he starts his letter like this and a uh, very common way to do this. Now, he gets through that and we said the next uh, part of the outline, if you just simply put it this way, reflect love that comes out of the truth. Okay. You find that as he's reading this or writing this letter, he says, I'm rejoicing that I found your children walking in truth as we received a commandment from the Father. And he's going, okay, came across your children. Where he came across them, I don't know. Uh, but I came across your children and I'm I'm delighted that they know Christ. It's obvious. What are you saying there? You say, well, how does he do this? Because they're keeping the commandment. You go, what's the commandment? It's the commandment that Jesus gave his disciples right from the beginning that you love one another. And he's going, it's not a new commandment that I'm giving unto you. It's not like in the Old Testament that, you you know, we're supposed to love one another. But it's when John talks about it in his gospel, he's saying it's a new commandment, it's a new emphasis. People in the Old Testament still were supposed to love their neighbor as themselves. That was a second part of the law. They were supposed to do this. But when it came to uh, believers now in Christ and seeing the love that was demonstrated to them, this is a new kind of quality of love. You're seeing divine love displayed in his son on the cross, it's not a new commandment, but it's a new kind of you know, understanding of that commandment. And what John says is he sees these children, I know that they are walking in the truth because I see how they love one another. They love other believers, and that love is not, and realize this, it's not just an emotion. First Corinthians 13, when it describes love, it's a whole bunch of action words. There's activity going on, and so this lady's children were walking the truth. How could John tell this? The children were keeping the commandment. The commandment was to love one another. Their acceptance of the truth was reflected in the love that they had received. And I have there First John four seven through eleven. Hey, we don't love God because we you know just have this emotion work up. No, uh, we love God because He loved us first. Demonstrated his love towards us, and we love him back. And then, because we have fellowship with the Son and the Father, we reflect that everywhere we're at. Uh, They were keeping uh, God's commandments, which indicated a love for God. The challenge for believers is to continue in love that reflects the truth. Okay, he does have this challenge at the end of verse 6 that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it, continue loving. Being selfless is a difficult thing. You go, why? Because we're selfish by nature. And guess what? That selfish nature is not going to disappear until you are in glory. So when he makes his command, he goes, yes, I can see the love that's displayed in all of this. Um, There may come occasion where you're just like, you know what, this is my day off. I, I get to be selfish today. It's my day. Um, and he's just reminding, no, you know, you had this from the beginning, keep doing this, Uh, reflect that love uh, one to another as you should. So continue. So reflect love, okay, so that's the, the one thing, but then you have this other one is this, reject error that ignores the truth. When you read this section... I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine this at such an early time. I mean, this is 30 to 40 years after Christ has been uh, walking on the earth and you already have a whole bunch of false teachers trying to come up with a, a false product. You know, and think about it. It's, not, it. it's not, in some ways, a product that you would want to have because at this time people are being persecuted for being a part of it you think that would hinder individuals from trying to, well, set up false churches, false organizations. But what you have indicated here by John is that you look at what he says. He says right there in verse 7, for, you know, a couple of deceivers every once in a while randomly. No, for many deceivers are in the world. And What he's challenging is this, that there's going to be an attack on the truth of Christ. It's not a minor event. John states that the deceivers are many. The individuals that John specifically warned uh, about deny that Jesus became a man. Look at how he states it there in verse, uh, the end of the verse there. These are individuals, verse 7, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Here's that Gnosticism we talked about two weeks ago in 1 John that some Gnostics had this idea that God could not touch material things. Okay? There's this, this idea of Gnosticism that um, you know, God created angels that then created other angels that then created other angels that then created other angels so that eventually you have an angel that can create the world because he can touch matter because matter's evil It's what Greek philosophy thought. So you finally have something like that. So God would never take on material matter because matter is evil. Okay, This is a a Greek and Roman philosophy. And so here you have these false teachers going, oh, God would never come and take up humanity. It's obvious. Just look around you. Everyone's talking about this in our, our culture and our day. God would never do this. But you have very clearly in John's teachings, in Paul's teachings, in Peter's teaching, that this was an individual who had flesh and blood, who shed his blood on the cross, who really truly died, who slept, who ate, as John has in the beginning of his letter. I mean, he's describing in 1 John 1, this is one we've seen, we've heard, and we've touched. Um, but there were people here denying you know god god wouldn 't come into this world, which if you don 't have that anchor that Jesus Christ came in the flesh there 's no possibility of him being a substitute for you okay he 's not one like you to be a replacement for you that 's the danger of this though you have these deceivers that go, hey, look, this Roman philosopher, this Greek philosopher, the weight of the whole world seems to indicate that it's impossible for God to take on human flesh. And so that's what's going on here. And you had people that were drawing people or these teachers were drawing away people away from the clear teaching of the truth that states that Jesus was born of a woman. Believers need, not to, look, uh, need to look at the truth so that they are not taken away with false teachers. And once again, this whole idea that you know, we use this illustration, we've used it multiple times in multiple classes uh, here, but bankers look at the real thing in order to be able to identify counterfeits. They spend their time looking at it. Um, Christians should look at Christ and what they have written about him and not allow people to go, here's a philosophy or an idea. And you go, it's not in the truth. It's not written in the word. Where are you coming up with this from? Okay, it's gotta be outside of what the Lord's teaching. Now, one way this lady could help defend the church I've imagined what this lady's like. She's probably one that's always got people in her household. She's always got food on the stove, you know, back then, you know, food in the fridge, you know, (laughs) whatever. Um, But they've got this, and anytime anybody walks into town, she's like, hey, stay with us. You know what? We'll take care of you, you know, and then we'll we'll sit around and talk and and, uh, see what's going on in other churches and the like, And, and she's one given to that. It's just something that she delights in doing. And because she's such a prominent member of the church and she's inviting people in, what people would go is, oh, well, th- this person, this teacher, stayed at so-and-so's house. It must be okay. And what John says is, no. You show no kindness to people like this. You don't even, you don't even bid them good day. Or we'd say this, Godspeed. God bless you. No. You don't want God-blessing false teaching. It goes exactly against his character, so you don't even say, God bless you, as uh, you send them out your door. You don't want to stay there, but if you kick them out, don't say, you know, God bless your day. No. Now, some people have a difficulty with this because you go, well, that's kind of harsh. But realize this, that even Jesus, he would eat and dine with sinners. But when it came to false teaching, false teachers, people who should have the truth or are saying that they have the truth and they don't have it, he was harsh with them. Read Matthew 23. The Lord has no kind words for the Pharisees. He's, he's, not, he's not nice because he's realizing if people swallow what these people are teaching, they are condemned to hell. And so it gives us an understanding. It's not that, you know, saying here, well, hey, you have an unsaved person in your house, and they come in and they're like, get out of here, you know, we don't want you here. You know, whatever. No, it's not saying that. It's saying a person who's in a position that's saying I'm a teacher of spiritual things and they're teaching false things, you don't give them any credibility. In fact, you identify what they are. You know, the Lord said, they're snakes in the grass. Slithering along. Got the hiss of the devil behind them. Um, But you don't give them any credibility. And uh, you are washing your hands of them and making very clear you want nothing to do with them because they are a false teacher, and that's what he's saying. you, you know you keep doing your itinerant, you know helping hospitality to itinerant preachers, but when you've got a false teacher that shows up at your doorstep and you know it, get them out, and do not bid them a good day so that people know, "Oh, hey, false teacher and uh, so he's Really, I, that's why I think this is a personal note here uh, that this letter is not necessarily to a church that he is doing this, but you know, you're know, you providing aid to the enemy. We, we, we understand that from warfare. Are we not in a spiritual warfare? The devil's walking about seeking who may devour. He's got wiles and methods that he has. Okay, well, we're in war. You don't provide aid to the, the enemy. The obvious enemy. There's a lot of people who are just you know, involved in in the war in the sense that they have no choice and whatever and they're involved in whatever's going on around them, but there are people who are intentionally involved on the other side. Don't give them aid. Don't give them aid. So that's the challenge of this. Concluding statements. Not too many things here. John just simply said this. John did not write everything in his letter. He hoped to come soon to the household of Uh, this prominent Christian lady, Uh, he says, I could have written more paper and ink, but all I got is this little piece of paper that someone's going to deliver to you and I'll be there soon and communicate more exactly some of the details of your kids and how they're doing and what I saw. But uh, I'll be there soon. And then he concludes with this note, uh, in addition to seeing this lady's children, John had seen her nieces and nephews who were also followers of the truth and they sent greetings to her. And um, so, he puts another personal note there, and so he's probably going to come and go, "Hey, i saw so and so and so and so they said to say hello and and uh bring personal greetings from you know niece and nephew so and so so it's a it's a little letter, but what you get is just you know it's very compact of you know it's like taking first John and compressing it into a personal note quick note, some of the details uh and uh that's how you would use this, and you can get doctrines in shorter form since sometimes just out of necessity you have to they don't have to be as lengthy as first john to get them across let's go and pray lord we thank you uh for your concern uh, uh for even individuals as you had letters written and uh we do pray that each one of us here would be individuals that love the truth that uh, we continue in the truth and knowing you and your son and reading your word and finding out more about you as we uh, take in your word, and that we would be ready to identify false teaching, and that we would not give any aid to it, that we would call it out when we see false teaching, uh, especially teaching that will destroy people's uh, hope of having life eternal and destroying the gospel. And uh, may we be people that are uh, ready to stand for truth, that we continue in it and remain in it and display it in our love towards others. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.